0: Hello and welcome to Peach Pod a Georgia Politics Podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I'm joined again by Luke Boggs. How are you, Luke? I'm doing well, Kyle. How are you? I'm doing all right. A busy day in healthcare that I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about in a future episode. Um, but on this week's episode, we have two guests to sit down and talk with us a little bit about activism in the Gold Dome. And so we are really excited to welcome on Aisha Yacoub. She's a policy director at Asian Americans Advancing Justice Atlanta. Uh, Aisha, thanks for joining the show.
1: Thank you guys so much. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: And then we are also joined by Grace Starling. She's a law student, and she was an organizer this last session um, with a group called Students Against House Bill 51. Uh, Grace, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Um, so on, on this week's show, we're just going to have a sort of a general conversation about activism at the Do- at the Gold Dome. Both Aisha, Aisha and Grace were working on issues um, working on bills at the Gold Dome this last session, and uh, Luke and I rarely get the chance to be sort of on the ground at the Gold Dome, so we are uh, really excited to be joined by y'all to talk about some of what went on at, during session with the work that y'all were doing. Um, so, Aisha, how about we start with you, and can you just kind of give us an overview on what bills you were working on and, and what your work was like at the Capitol this session?
1: Yeah, for sure. So as an organization, um, we focus primarily on four policy areas. Um, One of them, and and quite the largest one, is immigrant rights. So any bills that affect immigrants um, directly or indirectly. Uh, We generally tend to work on um, anything related to voting rights, education, and economic justice. So those are the four four main areas that I was really focusing on. Um, But then, of course, there are bills that come out uh, of nowhere that you have to pay attention to that kind of overlap on some of these areas. So this session in particular, there were quite a few driver's license bills that came up that were targeting immigrants um, in different ways. Also, this domestic terrorism bill that I'm not sure you guys heard about. Um, and then another one that was crazy, it was a, a non-citizen registry. And I'm sure I'll talk about that a little bit more. But uh, a few of these passed in different forms. Um, some of them didn't. But yeah, it was a it was a whole mess of anti-immigrant bills that we dealt with this year.
0: That's really interesting. And then, uh, Grace, what were you working on?
1: So I was working against a bill, actually,
2: against House Bill 51, which um, started in the House and required that universities report any felony that they have um, knowledge of to the police, um, whether or not the victim wants that. So this was specifically targeted at uh, rape as a felony. And essentially, there were two Parts of the bill, there was a mandatory reporting piece and then a um, due process, as they referred to it, due process, but really procedural safeguards um, piece. So we were really combating the mandatory reporting piece. That's essentially what our efforts went into for the entirety of session. Um, The reason I mentioned that it started in the House was because it was then um, attached to a Senate bill. So uh, as it currently stands, there are two versions of the bill that exist in our legislative body right now.
0: And Aisha, what was your experience like working with like members and their staff? Or did you get the sense that they were sort of receptive to the arguments that you were making on, on the driver's license bills and the domestic terrorism bills? Or what what is that interaction like when you're on the ground?
1: So I guess the main thing that I would say is, you know, as my first year working with state legislators, it was really interesting because I was, I guess I was more idealistic than I thought I was um, thinking that, you know, when I went to speak to someone, they would immediately kind of understand my point of view and where I was coming from. And even if they didn't change their mind right away, they at least could get to that same level of understanding. Um, I was very quick to realize that that was not the case. Um, And so, I mean, it was very difficult. I'm not going to lie. I realized that there are a lot of different ways to talk to legislators instead of just, you know, in committee or, you know right when they're about to go vote, Um, I think I learned most about, you know, (laughs) knowing who to talk to. So sometimes you didn't really need to get a hold of the legislator themselves, but maybe their secretary or someone who controls their calendar to figure out where they're going to be, you know, to see if they've gotten any updates to a bill that they're working on or, or in a committee that they're leading. So it's really an interesting game that you have to learn how to play. It is a good old boys club. So that was definitely something that I'm sure Grace knows about very well. Um, But it's a learning process. But in general, um, it was difficult. But by the end of it, I think myself and the people that I was working with got a pretty good understanding of how things worked. But it was nothing like I had ever anticipated.
0: What about you, Grace? Did you get the sense? Did you get that good old boys club experience too?
1: Absolutely. I
2: had a very unique experience. I would say that it was my experience in the house. Was in stark contrast to my experience in the Senate. Um, and I think that that can also depend on the issue you are working on and where the bill, what chamber the bill comes from. For me personally, um, I had some really great people in the House and their staff that I talked to and worked with, but the majority of the House, they were not responsive to research, to facts, they were not responsive to constituents calling, constituents on the ropes, Um, they voted with what fellow legislators in their party wanted. However, in the Senate, I really found that they were willing to, like the entire judiciary committee was willing to, you know, invite me into their office, sit down, I had multiple meetings with several of the members of the judiciary committee And when I left the House, after the bill had passed the House, I really was, I was so discouraged and I was so upset. And the Senate really renewed my faith um, in this legislative process that we're supposed to really believe in and that we're supposed to, you know, we're told to get involved in on a local level. So I think that I needed that to kind of continue fighting against this bill because it was getting exhausting to have so many people, um, you know, we had troves of citizens and constituents and Parents coming in, but they weren't being heard by the house as evidenced by the vote on HB 51, but the Senate really did listen. So I think, but I think that can also flip flop depending on the issue you're dealing with. So that was a very interesting dynamic for me personally.
3: Yeah, I was actually about to say it's it's fascinating that you say that because in most of our experience and most of the time we talk about this, the Senate is like where everything catches on fire and that a lot of times the House can be far more reasonable than the Senate. So it's very interesting that that was your guys' experience. I kind of had more a universal question that I was pretty interested in because I personally am obsessed with the State House. I've been up there for a couple sessions. I was Chief of Staff for Representative Spencer Fry. And I, I love the State House and I find a lot of people don't watch it. So... Um, This is really for both of you. Um, Aisha, you could go first. Like what brought you to working at the state capitol? Because like so many people go to like the sexy like presidential campaigns or gubernatorial campaigns. And I know it wasn't campaign season, obviously, after, you know, the time in January where you guys were up there. But, you know, you guys were both pretty deep into the legislative session. So what brought you to the Gold Dome?
1: I guess, you know, to be very honest, uh, it was my job, right? So that was a major part of my job was to be present at the Capitol to monitor the legislation that was coming down. If I didn't like it, I wouldn't have um, spent so much time and so much effort and so many sleepless nights worrying about what was happening. So I think it really came down to realizing that at that point in time, um, the House and the Senate and what was happening at the state legislature was where we could have the most impact. And I knew that there was crazy stuff happening on a federal level, especially in relation to immigrants. But at that point in time with the resources I had, I couldn't do anything to affect that. But um, I think the the state legislature was a little bit more, I know it's, hard, it, it's really weird to say, but I think it was a little bit more manageable because at least you're there, you're seeing these people in front of you. Um, and so I thought that that was a place where I could make that difference. Uh, my background is actually also in policy. I got my MPA from UGA as well. And so I had already heard about, you know, what happens in the session. And I had friends that had worked for different representatives or senators. And so I already had kind of that background knowledge of of the legislature. But really, it was like a a combination of needing to do something in response to what was happening in the world. But then also, you know, channeling that into what I wanted my career to look like in um, advocating for immigrant rights.
3: Great. And What about you, Grace?
1: So I think for me, um,
2: the driving force is that I am a survivor of sexual assault and I chose to report to the police and I went through a two and a half year long criminal investigation. So when I read about the bill in the AJC back in January, I was very concerned because I know what it takes to go through a criminal investigation and that it's not something um, that should be forced upon someone in any respect because it is a very traumatic process. So I think when I saw the details of the bill and how egregious it was and how much was lacking and just, you know, not even basic privacy rights or, you know, confidentiality with your doctor on campus, I decided that I needed to do something, but I had never been to the Capitol before. I had never been involved in a legislative session and I was very unaware of the process. But it was incredible, the quickness of the learning curve, because I ended up being there every day of session, every legislative day. And the amount of knowledge I gained in those, you know, 40 days was pretty incredible. I think that what really drove me was that I saw that there was a lack of student representation on the issue when it directly affects students and uh, survivors of sexual assault. And while we can have you know, we have wonderful survivor advocacy groups. There is a real need for visibility of survivors um, in our policies, as well as, you know, actually being down at the Capitol. And I think that was important. And that's part of the reason I ended up going to law school was because I think that there needs to be more survivors of sexual assault represented in our, uh, in our legal field. And so it was a pretty similar driving force for me with the Uh, capital.
1: So I I think um, I really love what Grace just said, because um, it makes it so much more real to hear students talking about issues that affect students, right? You know, that was a, a bill affecting what happens at institutions of higher education. That's kind of exactly where I'm coming from, where these bills are affecting immigrants, and we want to make sure that immigrant voices are being uplifted. Um, There are some great organizations that are doing lobbying um, at the Capitol for very progressive causes, but we're finding that Unless we have immigrant voices telling our own stories and getting our own folks involved, we're not having that impact that we necessarily need to have. And we're not seeing people being invested in it unless they see that they actually have a voice in it. And so that was a really big driving factor for us as well as making sure that we were bringing the voice the voices of people that are actually being affected um to be able to advocate for their own for their own rights and for their own issues and aisha
2: i'm sure you've seen that like it's actually it's pretty exhausting like to have to bring your story yeah. there <laughs> to convince uh, people of that policies are harmful and so that's actually i mean that's something i think that we can be better about uh we meaning people who are down at the capitol yeah, that the elected officials can be better about understanding that when people bring these uh, experiences to them, it is not an easy process and it's not, not something that's really owed, but it's something that's necessary to, you know, affect the change that we want to see. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: And do y'all get the right. sense that, do you think that the, the folks that you engaged with the, I saw that there were some events organized and demonstrations and protests and things like that. Do you think that, through the work that y'all did y'all laid the groundwork in each of your issue areas to bring some of these folks back to the Capitol and have them advocate on more things or if not what do you think could be done to make it easier for people for immigrants or or survivors or college students or, or really any kind of group what could be done to make it easier for them to engage on issues like these
1: I would definitely say that that was one of our goals, right? As an organization, my, my intention is to address the issues at hand, but also bring in a group of people that have historically never participated in this context. And so every time that I bring someone with me to the Capitol um, and, I, and I teach them about the process of lobbying or the process of talking to the representatives, you know, we always followed up with some sort of getting their feedback on how they felt that experience went. Um, eight times or nine times out of 10, they really enjoy it because they see, um, how real it is and how, um, easy it is for them to actually just see who their representative is and and talk to them. A lot of people think that, you know, oh, this is an elected official. They probably sit in some room in a, in a fancy chair, you know, that no one can access. But, um, I think that when they actually come in and see this kind of work, they realize how how real it is for them. And many of these people come from countries where maybe they haven't had that opportunity to engage with their government. Um, So yes, I, I think that is something that we're able to accomplish is bring more and more people to get interested in the work, whether it's on a state level, or then just have them interested in politics in general. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily that means that they're going to change, you know, overnight into this person that's interested in politics. But I think that's the first step in getting them to realize that a lot of issues that affect them actually come from the state legislature. And I think that's one of the biggest things is having people understand that it's it's state reps and state senators and everyone on the local level that actually has a bigger impact on their lives than most things that are happening on a federal level.
0: What about you, Grace? Did, did you get the sense through the Students Against HB 51 group that some of these students will be back on, on this issue or on other issues. I know Campus Carry went through this last session, and that's another big issue on college campuses that that students are engaged with. Um, do you think y'all laid the groundwork to have students come back and, and have a greater voice in session going into next year and, and years after that?
2: I absolutely think we did. Um, I think that it I mean, for me, it was pretty incredible to see students come with their backpacks between classes and work the ropes, you know, and it was incredible to be a part of facilitating that. So I think we had like five lobby days. And I know that the first day on crossover, we had every single senator, every single senator received a note about HB 51 after it had crossed over from the House to the Senate. And I think that we saw a lot of, students come back continuously. And we had a lot of crossover between HB51 and then anti-campus carry movement. So there was, there was, while our focus was primarily on HB51, we also advocated against campus carry, but I think that students started to see the process as more accessible because it's scary and it's not, you know, it's sometimes I think that it's not meant to be accessible for the person the average citizen that just you know walks in and wants to talk to their elected official while that may not be necessarily intentional it makes it easier to you're not held as accountable to your constituents if it's harder for them to reach you right if they don't tally your phone calls and if they don't come out and see you on the ropes um so i think that it is such an important part of the process and i think the first kind of big movement of that is always the hardest to break through But I know that, you know, when HB 51 comes back next session, we will be there and we will have plenty of people there.
3: Yeah. So one of the things I'm curious about as well is that uh, a lot of times when people are talking federally and at the state and even local level, it's talking about how hard it is to be heard. So I was just curious if you guys had any experiences where you had some like strong allies in the legislature and, you know, not just Democrats and Republicans that were actually you know, really helpful in policy goals that you guys were?
2: I definitely in the Senate, my senator, uh, Senator PK Martin was a phenomenal resource. He made himself available to me as his, you know, I am his constituent and he treated me as such um, with great respect. And I am so grateful for that as well as Senator Jesse Stone, Chairman Jesse Stone of the Judiciary Committee, was incredibly gracious to me and had many meetings with me. So it was really nice to see bipartisan support on the Senate side. I didn't so much see that in the House. I had phenomenal allies in the House and in the Democratic caucus in the House. But, you know, specifically Mary Margaret Oliver and David Dreyer were phenomenal um, and Park Cannon and Sam Park and you know, and then Elena Parent in the Senate on the Dem side. But I think the Senate is really where we saw Republican uh, Republicans come out and actually like acknowledge that rape is not a partisan issue. I think that was an important moment for us as a group.
3: And so just as a follow up, like, what kind of things were they able to help you with? you know, because most of the time when people think about interacting with their public officials, it's a one way interaction that like, you're asking them a question, or you're like, hey, don't vote on this or vote for this. So like, what sort of things were having advocates that were in the legislature were able to do for you and your the cause you're pushing?
2: So I think that sometimes it's hard to actually like navigate what is going on on a day to day basis. Um, you don't know where, you know, especially on like, Signy die or the last few days of session, it's like, you know, when a bill comes out of rules and it could it possibly, you know, could the language of something be attached to another bill, Um, you need people in those meetings, and people in those conversations, and you need to have people that are able to communicate what is happening, Um, I think it gets a little dicier when we get to conference committees as well, where it's, you know, there's really no public interference there. So it's important to have people who are actively expressing what is going on in the process. Specifically, though, for Chairman Stone, I mean, he sat down with me and went line by line through the bill and listened to multiple times from multiple meetings, why things were harmful, why, you know, where we can make changes. And I think, like, actively going through a piece of legislation with, you know, a student and talking about the pros and cons and how we can adjust it um, to make it, you know, it wasn't ever a good bill, but it was less bad, how we can make it a less bad. You know, less bad bill. I mean, he didn't have to do that.
3: Well, he should have to, but yes.
2: (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, he should, but it's also, you know, it's not his his bill. He's not the sponsor, right? So I think that that's an important part is that if you're going to sponsor a piece of legislation, you better be willing to sit down and go line by line through a bill with a constituent or with, you know, a voter, period, even if it's not your constituent or your voter, if you are bringing something on behalf of, you know, for Georgia people and Georgia citizens, you better be willing to explain it to Georgia people and Georgia
0: citizens. Aisha, what was your experience like on that? Did you have a similar experience of going line by line through some legislation, or?
1: Yes and no. Um, I would. I, I say yes because there were some bills that were very problematic, and we ended up, you know, having to go line by line through bills. But mostly. That was um, with my, you know, with our allies on the Democrat side. Um, And it was more for them to understand what was wrong with the bill. It wasn't really something that they could actively change because, you know, they might not have had the authority to do that. But it was just the opportunity for us to educate them about what was wrong with the bill. We did a lot of educating um, to both Democrats and Republicans. And, you know, a lot of the time it really was up to us to make sure that people understood why we had such an issue with some of these bills Um, you know, we had Democrats voting for bills that clearly hurt immigrants. And sometimes it wasn't a surprise. I mean, we have some very um, small districts that don't have a large population of immigrants. And so we take it for granted that most people understand these issues. And so we realize that next session, that's going to be a big part of it. And I'm already kind of working towards, you know, meeting with the legislators that I didn't really have a chance to talk to and and talking them through some of the issues that we come across um, in this session. And so in terms of, bipartisan collaboration. It's hard to explain, but my relationship with some of the Republican legislators is limited to them giving me information when I can't get it from anyone else, kind of like what Grace had, had mentioned. But it's a very political, awkward relationship where they can't help me publicly, but they can support me from behind the scenes. So whether that means like trying to stop a bill in committee or, uh, you know, getting another legislator to back down off of it. But it really hasn't been anything that I can publicly talk about because, you know, again, we want to maintain that relationship, but then also uh, make sure that they can continue, you know, to do what they need to do.
0: Um, so when y'all run into roadblocks with members, do you how do you think of like an inside versus outside strategy? Is that a time when it's time to, you know, organize a rally and, and get some other people involved and try to create some public pressure? Or do you kind of do both of those things at the same time, an inside game versus an outside game? How, how do y'all think about that?
1: So I, I think that um, because, you know, for me, we work. On, we worked on. I, I can't even tell you how many different bills we end up working on during during the session. It's a very delicate game, I would say. Like, there's a strategy that happens when the first when the bill first gets introduced, that is definitely a very inside strategy. We only get to that outside strategy of um, mobilizing our people in the community when we get to a point where, okay, this is going for a vote and we really need people to call their own legislator. I think that's the tipping point is, you know, is the bill moving in committee? If it's not moving in committee, then we can kind of play that inside game and make sure that it stays in committee. Um, once it's past committee, or once actually it's in committee, that's the time that we need to make sure that we have our arguments out, um, arguments ready to go, we have our stories ready to go, we bring in who it is we need to bring in at that time. But we still don't deploy that public strategy, because we don't want to make any waves until we can get amendments done, or until we can get that bill, you know, stopped in committee. After that, you know, you know, once the once it passes committee, once it gets to the house or you know, the full house or the full Senate, I think that's when we tend to activate our public strategy. Um, because that's when we know that people from around the state can really um make their voice heard. When it's in committee, you know, unless your representative is on that committee, there's very little that you can actually do unless you're calling actively calling the committee members. And so like I said, it's a delicate balance. I'm not sure if that's the perfect way to do it. Um I've again this is my first year doing it, but that's kind of how we did it. Um, And it worked for the most part. I mean, there were always things that moved faster than we could handle. And so sometimes it was like, Oh crap, what are we doing? This bill is being voted on today. And that's what we saw towards, you know, as the session moved on, but um, we tried to do the inside game as much as we could before having to do that uh, before having to activate the rest of our folks.
2: So I think for students against HB 51, it was a little bit different because we were focused on just one bill while we definitely played like this inside game at the beginning. I think that we had like the very first subcommittee meeting for the bill, there were probably 75 students, uh, 75 to 100 students in a subcommittee meeting. I mean, the room was packed. There was a line outside the door. And I think that that first showing was startling because it was so early in session and you know, it was very obvious that this was going to be a fight. But we, you know, we work, we tried to work with legislators to uh, tweak the language as much as they would let us, but ultimately that proved to be pretty fruitless. So in on the house side, so we determined that our best move would just be a full on this bill cannot pass kind of plan. So we, I mean, we had people calling, because we knew that it was going to go to the House floor. There was no way that this bill was not going to move out of committee. There was a period where we thought that maybe it would get uh, stuck because it went through two subcommittee hearings. But our fight in the House was really um, much more of an outside full opposition of this bill. The Senate, we were able to actually engage in the process the way it should be engaged in. The people that we brought with us to the Capitol. Right. We talked to House members and, you know, even on Signy die, when a conference committee was appointed for the the bill, we still we spoke with House members um, who would be on that conference committee. But I think the strategy really changed depending on the chamber we were working in. So I think it depends. I mean, we had a full on protest after it passed the House on you know, it passed the House one legislative day before crossover. So on crossover, we had like a full on protest. Like outside, we marched from uh, Georgia Tech, which has been a big part of why this legislation was brought from Georgia Tech to the Capitol with like 60, 70 students. Um, and then we lobbied. So that was a good example of like outside strategy. We were outside, you know, being very vocal, but then we went inside and spoke with the senators. So I think that kind of is how we approached it. It also really just depends on who you're dealing with, because some legislators are interested and some are just going to completely shut you down.
3: Well, I was going well, to ask, it's just like, how, how steep did you guys find the learning curve to be? Because, you know, you guys are talking about some you know pretty different tactics and different uh, strategies that you employed depending on who you're dealing with and, you know, what chamber you were in. So it's just like, how long did it take you to feel like you kind of wrapped your head around this and like, have you, do you feel like you understand all of it or do you feel like you're still learning a lot?
1: I think at least for me, it was a huge learning curve. I actually started this job maybe four days before session started. And so I literally was in a new job, you know, tasked with uh, jumping into my first session. And um, I, you know, I, at least I had the support of other um, progressive lobbyists that are usually, or have been there for quite some time. And so they kept telling me, you know, you have to know these people and you got to remember this about this person and this person operates this way. And this committee is where this happens. And, and I, I remember learning all of that, but it didn't really make sense until you're there. I mean, You can learn as much as you want about the people. You can learn as much as you want about the committees, Um, but it's not till you're actually there that you understand it. I mean, it's different than Congress. It's different than local politics. The learning curve, I don't think I actually quite understood how everything worked probably until the end of the session. I am excited about next session now because now I at least have one session under my belt. And so I can go into the next session being less naive, being more prepared, and then already knowing, you know, you know, and, and I'm working on establishing more relationships um, in the off-session time right now. And so I think I will be a lot more prepared for the next session. But yeah, that learning curve, uh, <laughs> it was really big.
3: Yeah, my, my long-term joke has been that you figure out session about a week before it ends, and then you forget everything you learned just in time for next session to start. <laughs>
1: I'm, I'm trying not to forget. So <laughs> That's exactly what they say
2: about law school, though. It's that you don't actually understand anything until you go to take the final and then you leave the final. And it's like, you remember some of it. Um, But I mean, I felt the exact same way. I felt that you learn the things you need to learn when you need to learn them. It's very much a day by day thing and ask questions when you're concerned. Like I asked so many questions, it was absurd, but I really feel like I have a good grasp of the process now i'm interested to see how it will be now that we're in the second year of the biennium and how having all these bills still alive uh, what that will look like
3: it definitely changes the pace because every session i've ever been to the first like two three weeks or like the first week of high school and everyone's like you know figuring out where the bathrooms (laughs) are again yeah they they start to pick up quick and the other thing is it's election year and so they will be wanting to get out of there as quickly as they can so they can start raising that money.
1: Well, and you have so many people running for, for state office. I mean, governor, lieutenant, governor, secretary of state just from within the Senate and the House. So that'll be that'll be interesting.
2: It'll be interesting to see how they interact with policies that are widely opposed.
0: Talking a little bit on that on that learning curve, what is like a typical day like lobbying at the Capitol and how does it change like early in session when things are kinda of quieter and and maybe people are a little more accessible, but but I know following from afar late in the session that it is really hard when you're not there to figure out what's going on, just trying yeah. to follow on Twitter and stuff. But but how does it change when you're there during the day as session goes along?
2: I think at the beginning, um, you yeah you can definitely feel it's a little it's a little more relaxed. People aren't as you know their their bills will move when they move. And people, they come out and they'll talk to you on the ropes. Um, but it's just a more relaxed conversation. Towards the end of session, it's like, what are your three points? What do I need to know? What can I do? Can I even help you? And it's a much quicker pace because people want their their bills to move. You start to see things get a little uh, a little less procedural towards the end, I think. I think what was cool is that we started to gain a little bit more name recognition as session went on. And so we were able to access more legislators as session went on, and I think that that was really beneficial um, because that's kind of when you know that's crunch time, and that's when a lot of the more disfavored bills get pushed to. So for us, that was really helpful. I mean, I like I said, I was there every single legislative day. I would come between classes. I would uh, come before class. I would come after class. I spent so much money on parking. It was absurd. That's another thing. We should have constituent parking that is discounted. But I think that being there every day, it's, you really do understand what's going on. And when you're not there, it you're right. I mean, you're, you're really right, Kyle, that you don't, you can't, you can't get the full picture of it. Right. So like for the judiciary committee in the Senate, I sat in on every single meeting during my spring break. I was there they have their meetings at four every day. So I was there at four. Um, and I was there when the amendment got added to the adoption bill. I was there, um, when like a lot of things that they had tried to kind of slide by people happened and that would be me and like six other people in the room. So I think that paying attention is really important. Additionally, I think watching the committee hearings for yourself is really important because you can read about what they say in the newspaper, but, A lot of times it was pretty incredible. The things that people said, no one would even realize or tell anyone that they had said it. And a lot of things that actually ended up being big news stories were because people like us were watching committee hearings and would mention it and it would spiral and other people would hear about it. But people aren't going to care about the comment made at minute 230 in the committee, you know, House Appropriations Committee unless people talk about it.
0: And real quick on that, Grace, on the adoption bill, did you get a good sense of how that the end of that issue came about we talked a little bit about it at the end of the year but from the reporting we could just tell that the you know the house and a lot of senators really wanted that bill to happen from what i could tell it sounded like a lot of people had put in a lot of work over several years it sounded like did you get the sense of how that all went down at the end
2: um i think that it will be i think the house and senator they are still not set well with one another on that issue I think it will be an issue when we get to January for sure there is palpable tension about that and like you said it had been in the works for over two years and um to have a you know two-page amendment added to a hundred-page bill in the last few weeks of session it was very widely opposed and I don't think I mean I think they people were afraid RIFRA would come into it but I think people honestly believe that it was bigger than that, and that people at the end of the day, you know, on sign you die, that this bill would get passed, but it didn't. And I think that was a, a big sore spot for a lot of people, both in the Senate and the House. So,
0: and Aisha, what was your day to day like?
1: just like Grace was saying, you know, the beginning of the session was really quiet. Um, It was kind of weird because I kept hearing, you know, like session's so crazy. You're going to be there forever and it's going to be so long. Um, I remember, you know, some days getting there for them to gavel in at 10 and then I'd be done by like 12 or one o'clock and I'd be back in the office. Um, You know, I guess towards like February, -February, mid-February, closer to crossover day, it got really busy. I mean, I remember... I was traveling the week of crossover day, which was really bad timing on my part, but um, I had my intern, you know, kind of feeding me information and like four of my worst bills dropped that week before crossover day. And I was like, how am I not there right now? I mean, it was just like the worst time for a a training that I had signed up for. And, um, you know, during that one week, like we had three different committee hearings that were going on and, you know, I was trying to watch them online and I was like, man, I wish I was there so I could ask these questions or you know, make a public comment. But you know, I think after crossover day, it really did start picking up. And so um, <laughs> same thing with Grace, I mean, I spent so much money on parking, so much time, just like running around trying to find people. And then at some point, it was just you were just there all the time. Like I, I didn't even go to the office anymore. Like I just went straight to the Capitol. Um, I had my my co workers just meet me there, <laughs> bringing me coffee, um, just, just trying to make sure that you know, I had the energy and then all of my volunteers and, and everyone that was there had, you know, the capacity to, to move move on. And I remember, like, the last day of session, I mean, on signing Diet, I can't even tell you, like, how long I was there that day. Um, coincidentally, that was the day that the bridge fell. And so it was just, like, the longest day. And it felt like it was, like, the longest day of my life because of everything that happened in the session. And then trying to get home with this bridge that had fallen Um, So it was it was intense. But um, yeah, I mean, that was like a normal day for me. I know, um, sometimes it was split in between committee hearings, or um, just like working the ropes or waiting for something to get voted on. Occasionally, it was, um, you know, trying to meet one on one with legislators that I needed to have a conversation with. But that got, you know, more rare as the session went on, because they just didn't have that kind of time.
0: And then um, to loop back a little bit, Grace, I saw that you testified, I think, at least once. And Aisha, did you testify at all?
1: Yeah. So that was um, a big part of what I did. And I think, actually, the Grace, I think the first time I met you was when we had both testified at the same hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there for HB 37, which was the anti-sanctuary campus bill. And then Grace was obviously there for HB51. So when it was actually, you
2: were there for the higher ed committee and I was there for the subcommittee, but they were back. Oh, to that's back. right. Right. Yeah. That's
1: right. Okay. Yeah. But I remember I was like, mm-hmm. I think I have a new version of HB37. Do you want a copy of it? And I, I was so confused because that was my first committee hearing that I was testifying in. And I was like, who is this girl? Why does she have the newest version that I don't have? And then I was like, oh, like now. So so I that was when I first started to realize like, oh man, I know nothing about what's happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, I that was a big part of what I did. And I got really, um, I guess I got better at it as the, as the hearings went on. But I remember it was for, I think it this was HB 452. Um, this was the, uh, the non-citizen registry. It was like the craziest committee hearing that I'd ever been in. And so, you know, I don't know, Grace, I'm sure you did this also, but you, you brought folks with you to come testify as well. So other people that have been affected by that bill or would be affected Um, and so we did that similar thing so i remember there was a house i can't even remember what committee it was in i feel like it was public safety house public safety committee uh hearing and we brought i think i brought a handful of folks maybe like three additional folks with me that were coming specifically to testify um, against this bill right and um, our partners at galeo had also brought a few folks um the latin american association was also there And we didn't expect for all of us to testify. I mean, that's just a reality. But we wanted to at least get our main points across. And so we all sign up to go do our public comment. And I can't, uh, the chairman, and I don't think he's the actual chairman. I think he was just sitting in because it was a busy day. He calls the people from the public comment list that had easy to pronounce names. (laughs) So he calls David, right? He calls David Schaefer from the LAA he calls Maria from Galeo, he calls um, another easy to pronounce name. And then he's like, oh, I'm sorry, that's it. (laughs) We don't have any more time. And I'm just sitting there like, I have like 50 points to, you know, to say that directly contradict what you guys have been saying. And I cannot just sit here. And so my boss was like, just stand up. And I was like, what do you mean? I can't just stand up in the middle of a committee. She's like, just do it. And so I literally stood up and I was like, excuse me, like, you have to let me speak. I've been waiting for two and a half hours um, and I will not leave until you let me speak. And so we fought, like, I actually, (laughs) we actually fought across the room. And at some point he was like, just come and say your points. You have two minutes. So I got up there, said my points really quickly. And then um, one of the committee members started asking me questions and I can't even remember who it was, but he kind of. He took my, my train of thought and let me, um, you know, really get into it because I was struggling to fit it into two minutes, but thankfully it was able to get, um, elongated, but it was, it was crazy because they were literally just trying to get two people whose views were, you know, similar to mine, but they were like, that's it. We're, we don't want to hear any more from you guys. Um, but that didn't always happen. You know, sometimes people were, were really receptive of it, but this, this particular case, like they just did not want to hear from us.
0: What about you, Grace? What was your, uh, testimony experience like
2: so i testified once um in the house at the subcommittee for higher ed appropriations and then i testified twice in the senate judiciary so i testified i can't remember if i I might have been the first one to testify against the bill against hb 51 but essentially it was odd because we were limited to four people on each side, pro and con. And I mean, ultimately the chairman of this committee was the sponsor of the bill. So he had invited people to come speak on behalf of the bill. So he, in total, um, including his opening remarks, there were seven people that were able to speak for the bill. And then only four people were able to speak against. We, So I testified, and that was the first time I'd ever openly uh, expressed that I was a survivor of sexual assault. and. It I was asked a bunch of questions. I think I handled them well. There were some other students that were asked very aggressive questions who were give you know, relaying their story and telling their story about being a survivor. And they were I mean, committee members were very rude to them, especially to a student from Spellman, my good friend Van Kayla Haynes, who is also a founder of Students Against HB51 and has worked with me and will be going to DC with me this uh, coming week. They asked very aggressive and targeted questions to her that were just inappropriate, so much so that the dean of the house had to interfere. But I mean, that basically set the tone for how the house was going to handle it. It was, um, we were causing a storm and we were causing a mess um, and they didn't really want to deal with it. So they were trying to get us to go away, you know, really by any tactics possible. Um, my experience in the Senate for testifying was very different. I think that I mean I understand the need for time limits, and I understand the need for only a certain number of people can speak. But I think that one of the biggest parts for me is when my father openly testified about the like the police interrogation I had. He was caught off at two minutes, and they let him kind of finish. But um, he had prepared like a five minute, thinking he would have five minutes, and so. Sometimes I think that when people are telling, you know, it's you want to hear expert testimony and you want to hear the facts and the points. But when you have someone who's coming and telling you they're a constituent and, you know, telling you these things that are personal and that are important and that are relevant, they should be given the time to do so. So, I mean, for me, I I don't mind public speaking. So testifying wasn't really a big deal. I think the hardest part was when I first came out publicly as a survivor to that committee. And I was expressing kind of what had happened to me and what my journey looked like and uh, looking around the committee and seeing one woman. So that was, that's something I really remember is that, you know, you don't, you don't see, there aren't enough people that are representing the constituents of our state and the interests. And I think that that makes testifying harder because you don't see someone that can identify with the story you're trying to tell.
3: Yeah, that is a real, real shame, the just lack of diversity among our state house reps. And hopefully that's something we can all continue to push for and get to a better place. Um, just to start to wrap up here, though, what I'd like to know from both of you is just like what what else uh, about your issues would you like to you know inform our listeners about and inform us, frankly.
1: The big thing that I would say is a lot of the stuff that we deal with, especially when it comes to um, a lot of issues with immigrants, it has become so politicized that it's hard to have a civil discussion with anybody. Um, you know, I if I even bring up the name of a bill, right, like HB thirty seven immediately people start thinking about sanctuary and sanctuary campuses and, you know, undocumented students. And, and that's fine. I mean, like, that's the kind of recognition that it deserves to have. But it's really hard to have that conversation in a span of two minutes, right? Like if I'm at the rope line, and I'm talking to this person, because this bill has become so politicized, even if they, even if they see my point, even if they hear what I'm saying, it's hard for them to vote a particular way, on you know, without getting um, reprimanded by whatever party they're part of. I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but it's just because of this highly politicized world that we live in right now. It's become very hard to do that. Um, I found it even harder, you know, not having that relationship with most legislators. I mean, probably like three or four of them I knew going into the session. Um, thankfully, now I know a whole lot more, and I'm working towards. Um, establishing those relationships now so that I have a better uh, pull with some of them. But I think at, at this point, it's, it's more about humanizing the issues to them and appealing to that side of them and, and having them kind of push through the political pressure that comes. Um, sometimes that's, it's easier to do when it's in committee. I mean, if you can get people to vote um, in your favor in a committee hearing where the votes aren't recorded, That's better than killing it, you know, once it gets to the floor, once it's in the, once it's uh, at a floor vote, I can't really control it much. And so I think for us, it's more about, you know, working that inside game and talking to people privately and getting them to understand that, you know, we don't really care about the political win. It's for us, it's about protecting the rights of our, of our people. And if that means, you know, working behind closed doors, I'm totally okay with that.
2: So we um, are actually going to D.C. to meet with um, Acting Assistant Secretary Candace Jackson from the Department of Education on Monday to talk about um, campus sexual assault and what is necessary for the federal government to be doing, um, especially considering states like Georgia, where we see very real proof that we do not have subject matter expertise to do the things that the federal government and the Department of Education have been doing. Entrusted and legally obligated to do, um, specifically in reference to campus sexual assault. So we are also meeting with the House bipartisan task force, and with uh, Senator Gillibrand's staff. So we'll have some more stuff coming out about those meetings um, and kind of what's going on at the federal level. I think that it's really important that with everything we have going on, you know, with the Department of Education in regards to sexual violence on our university and college campuses that we as a state really look at the decisions that we're making um, and how they're affecting students on campus um, that have been victims of these crimes and what our votes are saying to them. So I think that elected officials, you know, this coming session really need to consider um, if they want to be a part of, you know, because right now we're having a lot of people say to us, Well, Georgia looks like the model state for what the Trump administration might do in regards to sexual assault, and it has been one of the most highly criticized areas of the Trump administration has been what the Department of Education is doing in regards to sexual violence. So I really don't think that we want to be a part of the blueprint for something like that. So I think that legislators really need to consider if they want to be making rape a partisan issue, and if they want to be the state that sets that tone for the rest of the country, because currently that is what is happening. And I think that while it's important that you vote with your fellow legislators, and that you support their communities, um, I think that your constituents should always come first. So I think we'll be really driving those lessons home um, when we visit in D.C. um, and drawing attention to states like Georgia that are lacking the capacity to do the things necessary for survivors on campuses and why that is necessary for the federal government um, to understand. And I hope that our visit to D.C. can further show our Georgia officials that they really do need to consider what they are doing and what the actions look like to students and um, Professors and you know parents that send their children to Georgia colleges. So I think that's and so those trips will be our next steps will definitely be their next session we're trying to come up with some um, legislation that is balanced for both sides and that is considering all parties and that makes education accessible to all students, regardless of what traumatic experiences. Um, have happened to them. So that's kind of where we're at. You can check us out on Facebook at Students Against HB51. We post our updates there. Anyone can feel free to reach out to the page or message the page or message me about uh, getting involved if anyone is interested.
3: Yeah, thanks for uh, covering all that with us. Um, I I would just like to say to to both of you, I really appreciate you not just being on the show, but being advocates for the issues that you talk about because Georgia is not an easy place to talk about either of the issues that you guys talk about and really nowhere is very easy to talk about either of those <laughs> issues. So I really yeah, appreciate we, the uh, work. That yeah. You guys we've do. been really
0: impressed with the work that y'all been doing, watching from afar. It's been really impressive work. Yes.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
3: Yeah. And so i um, honored. If uh, I could get both of you to ask us a question and flip the table as I am prompt to do,
2: what would be y'all's advice to our Georgia elected officials?
0: So my biggest pet peeve with the legislature since we've started working on this coverage. I've been engaging a lot with issues in healthcare and education and transportation and, and sort of like the big money items. And so I've grown really frustrated about the state's inability to tackle the biggest challenges that the state faces. Um, When governor deal ran for reelection, he had, he had pledged to reform the state's education funding formula there's a real crisis right now in people's ability to access healthcare in rural areas, and and even related to the issues that y'all work on, it seems to me that more often than not, the legislature takes the easy way out um, by either dodging an important issue that they you know really should be working on, um, or or just not focusing the agenda on the biggest challenges that the state faces and it's difficult because the you have an election every other year and so i feel like we don't because the legislature only meets for 40 days we don't get a lot of time to actually debate and work through these big issues and so my advice for them which is the difficult advice advice in politics but is is putting policy above, above politics and trying to figure out ways to engage and work on these issues within the confines of a short session and in elections every other year, because these things pile up after a while and they get harder and harder to solve as time goes on. And so, you know, as, as we, as we get into election season, that's what I'm looking for, for, for people running for office, both Democrats and Republicans. How are you actually considering thinking about seeking the advice of experts on the biggest challenges that the state faces?
3: I agree with that. I think that's really good advice. The advice that I would give sort of in tandem to that is that like with HB 51 is a great example. There needs to be an alternative policy, you know, put forward because with almost any issue, I can't think of any issue where the state is like perfect (laughs) on everything and we're doing exactly what we should be doing. Um, And so if there is an issue that is, forward and there's not a good bill out there, I think trying to provide a alternative that helps the issue go where it needs to go is um, really, really important. And even if that bill ends up looking like a completely different bill, but still addresses the issue in some way, shape, or form, I think that is a really, really powerful way to start a conversation because With a lot of legislators, and it's not as bad on the state level as it is with the federal level, but for a lot of people, you just hear the other side saying, no, we don't like that bill, and these are the reasons why we don't like it. Um, But I think if legislators could come together with activists like you guys and craft some alternative policy, I think that's a really strong way to uh, discourage some of the more foolhardy policies from being passed.
1: That's good advice. I agree with all that.
3: What about you, Aisha?
1: So I, I kind of have a silly question. Um, if you guys silly don't mind. questions are great. Yeah, okay. So did you guys hear about um, this is probably one of the highlights of my intern's time at the Capitol? Did you hear about the Gold Dome Rat?
0: I did not hear about <laughs> what? this. I don't you think did so. not
1: hear about the Gold Dome Rat. Okay. I didn't either. You didn't? Okay, so you can actually find um, at Gold Dome Rat on Twitter. Oh, of course um, he has and, a Twitter account. Yes, he has a Twitter <laughs> account. So it was, I think it was the week before Sine Die or you know, a few days before the end of the session, and there was a rat that was found um, on the Senate side. And it was kind of, you I know, did hear you did it. hear about it. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so the rat was like running um, underneath the seats where the pages sit. And so they start <laughs> freaking out, you know, these high school kids are like jumping up and down and then the clerks, right. The, the Senate clerks and stuff, you know, <laughs> Poor ladies are like jumping, trying to get out of the way. And it lands around that area where the, the clerks work. Um, so one of the, um, the guys that mans the door to the, the Senate chamber comes out and just stomps on it until it dies. So there's just this pool of blood um, right outside of the chamber and um, everyone's like what happened what happened and and you know you come to find out that there's a rat that it just got killed um, and the, the guy that and, you know it's an old man that just stomped it to death and everyone's like how could you do that you know I was so scared I can't believe you did that it, it ended up getting cleaned up but it was like the funniest thing that had happened that day and and it has its own Twitter account now.
3: <laughs> well <laughs> that is yeah. that is a georgia story if
0: i've ever right. heard one. yeah
1: right yeah
0: well may the gold dome rat rest oh. in peace and and may his twitter account continue to keep us up to Close. date i guess
3: um, yeah his his adventures in the afterlife yeah <laughs>
0: um but with that i i think we'll wrap it up um aisha and grace thank y'all so much for coming on the show and and sharing your experiences with us and and for all the work that you've been doing on these issues, it's really good to hear from people on the ground um, and get sort of the insider's perspective on on some of these really important issues the legislature is dealing with.
2: Thank you all for having us. Yeah, thank you thank so you much. Thank you for being
0: here. And with that, I think we'll wrap up the show for this week. And Luke and I will be back next week. And Aisha and Grace, if you all ever want to come back, come back anytime.
2: Awesome. Thank you. Awesome.
0: Alrighty, we will talk to y'all next week. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care y'all.